This scripture reading and the following address were part of the YouTube streamed worship service from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, Box Hill, Victoria, Australia, on December 25th, 2023. For more information, visit www.stpaulsboxhill.org.au. Holy Gospel for this day, the Nativity of our Lord, is written in the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what his own, what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and truth be to you this morning our living Lord among us in his word. Let's pray. Lord, serve us with what you came to serve us with yourself in this living word among us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, dear people made of flesh and blood, I doubt that by the end of this day there'll be anyone among us here who has not eaten too much. (laughs) Now, maybe a handful of you will exercise some self-control and you have my blessing if you do and my amazement as well, my admiration, but given the quantities and the qualities of food and drink that are likely to be laid out, uh, I suspect that most of us will overdo it. We'll feast on and surrounded by tinsels and lights and decorations and cards and gifts and, uh, by God's mercy, family and friends. Good things, good things of God's own making. And this isn't at all out of place if we remember that today we celebrate the incarnation, literally the enfleshment of our Lord. As John 1 said, we just heard it, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In that event, the conception and birth of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the Word, called the Word, 
the second person of the Holy Trinity, became a flesh and blood human being as we are. The creator became one of his own creatures. Now there's great mystery in this. Who can explain it? Can you explain it? Can you become something you've made? Roast turkey? Plum pudding? Brandy sauce? Don't think so. But who'd want to be anyway, actually? But by being conceived in young and virgin Mary, travelling down a fallopian tube as a tiny embryo, being attached to her uterus in the miracle of pregnancy, budding and growing moment by moment and then squeezed out the birth canal by who knows how many hours of painful labour. By all this, God the Creator took on the same human flesh he first formed in the beginning. Thus we confess in the creed, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became truly human. Now, while we know something about pregnancy and birth, we can't comprehend just how the eternal word, God the Son, infinite in his divine separateness from creation and one in unity with God the Father and Holy Spirit, how he could become a creature himself. Or how he could do this without the Father and the Spirit becoming flesh as well. It's a mystery. But it happened. And by it happening, God manifests his amazing love for this world. And for humanity in particular. Christ's incarnation is solid flesh and blood evidence of just how much God values us, values you and how significant we are to him. Christ's incarnation confers on humanity a status that we otherwise don't have, confirming but also advancing Genesis chapter 1's picture of human beings as the pinnacle of God's creation. So valuable, so valuable indeed, that he's prepared to become one of us, to restore us, our life and our relationship with him and with all creation. By all rights, God should have destroyed humanity because of sin, but instead he joins us to save us. Now note that God the Son doesn't come as any other creature, not even as an angel. Despite their greater intelligence, yes, and their greater glory, but he honours us above even the angels, as Hebrew 1 declares uh, when it celebrates Jesus' reign. Listen to it again. When God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes the angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Jesus' incarnation is such a magnificent act of love, we should be overwhelmed with joy and wonder, perhaps bending the knee when we speak of it. Encouraging this, Luther recounts this fable in one of his sermons. The devil, 
Remember, a devil is a fallen angel. The devil came to church one day and looked around. When the people stood there unmoved while they confessed that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, and so on, the devil didn't take any notice, not caring two hoots. But when they said he was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man, and still they stood there unmoved, he punched the nearest one in the mouth, told him off, and said, You brute! Aren't you ashamed you stand there like a post and do not fall down for joy? If the Son of God had become our brother, we wouldn't know what to do for joy. Well, perhaps he lived in less sensitive times than ours. Um, but his point is well made. His point is well made. In Christ's incarnation, God affirms and supports the human race by joining us at the coalface, at the kitchen sink, at the study desk, at the family table, and wherever it is that we find ourselves. Experiencing with us all that it is to be human, having a mind that thinks, a heart that feels, a soul that longs, and yes, a body. A body that eats and drinks, with eyes that size up, nostrils which savour, a mouth that relishes, Stomach that digests, bowels that move, other parts as well, use your imagination. God in Christ is as down to earth as anyone can get, far more than the wily devil who's never succeeded in becoming one of us in his mission to tear us away from God. But of course, embracing humanity uh, by Christ's incarnation doesn't mean that God loves human behaviour, our sin. Human sin destroys creation at that God made good. It destroys humanity and human existence as God intended it to be. Human sin is the opposite of divine creation. It disrupts our relationships. It exploits human weaknesses. It messes up human environment. It denies human createdness. It invents human gods. We call them ideologies. And in the worst sin of all, it rejects the word become flesh, emptying us of our significance that he confers, leaving us to thrash around in a fruitless search for joy and meaning elsewhere. Fruitless, though. Jesus as a human being confirms us in so many ways, but it does not confirm the world as it is. It condemns our sin, because Jesus as a human being is totally without sin, as you know. And because Jesus, right from the start, suffers our human condition. He suffers under human sin. Born in poverty, unwelcome in lodging, persecuted by authorities, Herod was after him right from the beginning, rejected by his own, and eventually, of course, crucified as a criminal, although he'd done absolutely nothing wrong. The word became flesh, suffered in the flesh, all as a judgment on sin and to save us. And what's more, in coming in the flesh, the eternal word came at a particular time and a particular place to a particular young woman with a particular new husband, both of a particular tribe and nation with a particular history and context. In the reign of Herod, King of Judea, when Caesar Augustus issued a decree 
that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. It's not a vague appearance or a random manifestation, but a long herald, heralded and deeply personal involvement. In Jesus, God humanly yet divinely encountered and journeyed with the very particular individuals and communities we hear about in the Gospels. As John said, he dwelt among us, made his home with us, especially his family and the disciples who followed him. And remember, John was one of those disciples, the one that Jesus dearly loved. So John knew about that us. Indeed, in his first epistle, John specifically gives the three kinds of legal evidence required to substantiate a claim in the courts. Hearing, seeing and direct encounter. When he writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Well, thank God then that Jesus comes to us today in similar particularity. Not in his localised human form, since he hid that at his ascension, but in still physically encountering us here in church when he enfleshes himself in bread and wine. And everywhere he does that, this day and all days around the globe. When he is heard right here in scripture and preaching, in liturgy and song and in the love and encouragement that we express for one another in our own stumbling words. That he is similarly particular in his presence when he's seen right here in the faces of each of you, those with whom he has united himself and in whom his spirit dwells. The eternal word of God continues to dwell among us today in the flesh, personally encountering, loving, embracing and redeeming the physical world he's made and for which he died and for which he physically rose from the grave and continues in the Godhead as a physical human being. This world isn't our permanent home, but until God brings it to an end, it's the place of Jesus' reign and our Christian life and spirituality, the place and time God's enfleshed us. We're incarnate beings too, not disembodied spirits. This body, with all its earthiness, its appetites, unreliability, it's nevertheless God's gift to each of us. So we're to treasure it, to take care of it, to use it in his service and the service of his world as long as he preserves us. As St Paul says in Corinthians, it's your body which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So physical life is a spiritual matter. Eating, drinking, socialising, relating, working, playing, dating, being married, making homes, making babies, bringing up children, ageing, retiring, getting sick, dying, singing in a choir, ringing church bells, looking after church property, redeveloping it beautifully. All because of Christmas when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank God for that. Happy Christmas. 
and let the feasting begin. Amen.